You know, for someone who has ADD, that's not bad hearing the music in the background while you're praying. <laughs> Gee, my mind goes, <laughs> you know, the thing about ADD is, um, it, oh, squirrel. <laughs> you know, the thing about ADD is people think ADD is you can't concentrate. You know, that's really not the case. With ADD, the, the, the thing is, is not you have a hard time concentrating on one thing, is that you have you're concentrating on a hundred different things at the same time. That's one deal with ADD. So, oh, thank you for closing the door. I was getting around to a graceful way of saying, if, if the door doesn't close, I'll hear the music, I'll hear, the pre- I'll hear everybody going down the road. So, I, can you tell that I have a little problem with that ADD that comes in? Uh, I'm very grateful being here. Um, uh, I wish... And it's been a prayer for, for so long, about six months now. I wish I was here because Dr. Toussaint was out somewhere. Not because he can't speak. I, I think of, uh, and I can never remember the guy, Zachariah. Uh, who's the guy in, in is it? Uh, Zachariah. Zachariah. That's what I think of is the guy that has so much to say and can't. I just, I love you. I love you too. So I wish it was different circumstances, but I'm grateful, grateful to God for you all and how much you're praying for him and keep praying. Lord can do what he wants. We just we don't know that on this side yet, but uh, grateful for you and for you. And I hope I can, uh, hope I can uh, fulfill your expectations for a teacher today. I won't if I, oh, here we go. If I can't find these, baby. <laughs> can't tell there. Uh, so uh, I taught in the early hour at Grace Gathering, and uh, I told them about the mess that's coming. It, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, that's just so fun to give you all a hard time. Just So I've got to rearrange this stuff because they like to talk afterwards. and uh, uh, So there we go. You know, we'll be talking. At, we'll be. I'll be speaking out of First John. We'll be studying together out of First John. So, if you want to go ahead and turn there, and kind of get ready, you know, a lot of times, even when I was growing up, uh, there was a lot. There was a lot of, uh, and I'm going to stagger here until I can get my notes all in order. I, I'm so sorry, but it's just going to take a second here. Uh, let's see if that one's in that, in that order there. I'm getting there. Here we go. Think I got it. Here we go. Um, a lot of times we look at the scriptures and we don't always connect their culture with our culture, which, if, if you know, what over the past years has gotten to be a very fascinating for me, which I enjoy immensely, which I just didn't like at all when I was in seminary, was reading all that junk in front of the commentaries, you know, about the who wrote it, why it was written, all the background, all that, you know. It's part of my testimony, but uh, it was difficult for me reading because of the ADD and just scattered and just everywhere all the time. But boy, that stuff is loaded because when you understand the culture and where and why they were writing what they wrote and then they begin to write, if you get into all that early and learn that, it, it completely changes how you read the scriptures and how you read the letters and some of what's going on here. So I want to try to connect for you some of what's going on today because 
uh, in this book, in the next, it's called The Next Christian, Seven Ways You Can Live the Gospel and Restore the World by Gabe Lyons. He's this uh, guy out of kind of a surfer dude type guy out of California. But aren't they all in California? Aren't they all from La Pla Pla? Yeah, no, just kidding. But Billy, Billy Graham wrote this. He says, back when we did these big crusades in football stadiums and arenas, the Holy Spirit was really moving. And people were coming to Christ as we preached the Word of God, the evangelist said. But today, I sense something different is happening. I see evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in a new way. He's moving through people where they work and through one-on-one -on -one relationships to accomplish great things. They are demonstrating God's love to those around them, not just with words, but in deeds. And later he says, I believe, and this Gabe Lyons says, that's the quote from Billy Graham. He says later, Gabe says, I believe this moment is unlike any other time in history. Its uniqueness demands an original response. If we fail to offer a Different, different way forward, we risk losing entire generations to apathy and cynicism. Ouch. Our friends will continue to drift away, meeting their need for spiritual transcendence through other forms of worship and community as a faith that, we, that may be less true but more authentic and appealing. Do not be discouraged. God is at work at this very moment. He doesn't look upon our current cultural milieu and write and wring his hands as if he didn't see it coming. In the midst of unprecedented change, his people are rooting themselves in the fertile ground of our current age and celebrating what the Christian movement is becoming. As we confront the possibilities that tomorrow may hold, I invite you to not only study the facts, I urge you to re envision your faith. Now, this was written, <clears throat> was published in 2013 now we've seen a tons of different it, it, there, there are things we see today that we never imagined we'd see I, am i right we open the papers and we see on television we go oh my gosh i never thought it happens all the time the end of the american dream blog by uh michael snyder if current trends continue, Islam is on track to become the largest religion in the entire world by the end of the century, according to a Pew Research uh, report that was just released. While it is true that Christianity is still growing on a global basis, it is not growing nearly as rapidly as Islam. Islam is the only major religion that is growing faster than the global population overall and is being projected that the number of Muslims on the planet will rise by a staggering 73% between 2010 in 2015, 2050. In 2050, India is set to take over from Indonesia as the country with the world's largest Muslim population, according to the study. Islam is making a lot of progress in Europe as well. A tremendous amount of immigration has caused the number of European Muslims to surge in recent years, and this new report is projecting that 10% of all Europeans will belong to Islam by the year 2050. Here in the United States, Muslims still only make up a very small percentage of the population, but that percentage is growing too. The report indicated that there are a couple of primary reasons why Islam is growing so rapidly around the world. First of all, Muslims tend to have larger families than everyone else. In other words, they're making more babies than anyone else. Two, Muslims are younger on average than other religious groups. According to the report on a global basis, Muslims are seven years younger than the median age of non-Muslims. Unfortunately, when Muslims become dominant in a society, they often want to impose their systems of government, law, economics, etc. on everyone else. That is why, now here, now before I mention this, 
take in what I say, but try to take in some of your emotion at the same time because it'll come back later in First John. Okay, so just, here we go. Uh, that is why Sharia law is such a sensitive issue and the report found in that some Islamic countries an overwhelming majority of Muslims want to impose, impose Sharia law on everyone else. Nobody can deny that Islam is one of the most dominant forces on the entire planet in 2017, and it looks like it is going to become even more dominant in the years ahead. And that is troubling news for Christians and those of other faiths, because all you have to do is look at countries such as Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, and Iran to see what happens to other faiths once Islam takes control of a nation. In a truly Islamic state, there is no room for religious freedom, and so for and so the growth of Islam is likely to be one of the greatest global threats to the free exercise of religion for the unforeseeable future. Of course, there are other religious groups that are growing even faster than Islam, but they were not part of this study. For example, I have pre previously written about how witchcraft is the fastest growing faith in America. And yesterday I wrote, when this was written, I wrote uh, about how membership in this satanic temple in the United States has been absolutely exploding since Donald Trump was elected. So it isn't just Islam that's gaining ground, but without a doubt, Islam is now the dominant worldview on much of the planet. Many in the Western world tend to think of it as a Middle Eastern religion, but the truth is that most Muslims actually live in the Asia-Pacific area. Some 62% of Muslims live in the Asia-Pacific region with large populations in Indonesia, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Iran, Turkey, Pew researchers said. The Queen's chaplain who questioned Qumran prayers in cathedral steps down after attempts to silence defenestrate him. Less than one week after one of the Queen's chaplains spoke out against an Islamic prayer denying the divinity of Jesus Christ being read aloud in a Scottish cathedral, the senior churchman has tendered his resignation from that office. Now just the opening paragraph makes you drop your jaw. Uh, remarking that his, it's the former uh, chaplain uh, Gavin Ashenden, remarking that the decision to step down was the most honorable course of action and had come after years of attempts to silence him. Uh, the Reverend Ashenden said he had spoken out in the past on controversial matters as a matter of integrity and responsibility. Earlier this week, the Reverend Ashenden called the decision to allow sung prayers from the Qumran in a Scottish cathedral service that demands Allah is worshipped and denies the divinity of Christ blasphemy and said the cathedral should apologize to persecuted Christians worldwide. To have a core to have a core faith for which they have suffered deeply treated so casually by senior Western clergy such as the provost of Glasgow is unlikely to have a positive outcome. Uh, the priest called the decision to choose that particular Qumran reading to be read on the Feast of the Epiphany, a glowing cherry of offense to the iced cake of incompetence. Now his opposition to the Muslim player in a British cathedral has brought the churchman's tenure as a chaplain to the queen to a premature end. Reverend Ashenden said he had a conversation instigated by officials at Buckingham Palace and it had been made clear that he could not continue to speak out on faith issues of the day as his position as one of the 32 of the queen's chaplains could compromise the political neutrality of the monarchy. While he had defended himself from such charges in the past by asking, in what way is a priest defending the faith on behalf of a monarch who was defender of the faith incongruous or improper? 
Have you heard the titles of the queen lately? One of them is Defender of the Faith. She is the Empress of India, Queen Femme, and Defender of the Faith. The clear choice between silence while enjoying a public honor and speaking the truth had to be made. I am fairly clear in my own mind that my duty to my conscience, to my orders, to my understanding of Christianity and my vocation is that I'm supposed to be speaking out in the public space on behalf of the Christ I serve. Good man. When warned his comments could be found offensive by practicing Muslims, the reverend replied, if they are offended by me, by my quoting the Quran, they are not offended by me, they are offended by the the Koran. April 2017. You know, that was just, just like a month or two ago. You, you know, April 2017. The new superior of the worldwide Jesuit order said recently that as Jesus Christ's words about marriage were never recorded, there is no basis for a black and white church doctrine centering on lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. In a recent interview, the, uh, uh, Father Arturo Sosa Abascal states that Jesus' words about marriage must be contextualized and, discern, and discerned. Anytime somebody says, Con we need to contextualize, gird your loins and just hold on because it's not going to be something usually very good. Uh, Human reality is much more nuanced and never black and white, said Abascal, who was elected superior of the Society of Jesus in October, once held by the Pope. Um, Abascal was asked by Jesus about Jesus teaching marriage as provided in the Gospel of Matthew. Th this guy interviewing him kind of went, what in the world? So he asked him, he said to them, have you not read that he who made them in the first place made them man and woman? It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and will live with his wife. The two will become one, so they are no longer two but one. Let no man divide what God has put together. Uh, Rusconi stated to Abascal, the Rusconi was the, the um, interviewer, that the, perfect, the prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, Cardinal Gerhard Mueller, observed the words of Jesus were clear, and that no power in heaven and on earth, neither an angel nor a pope, neither a council nor a law of the bishops, has the faculty to modify them. Good statement. At that time, no one had a recorder to take down his words, the Jesuit superior responded. What is known is that the words of Jesus must be contextualized as they are expressed in a language in a specific setting. They are addressed to someone in particular. Ask whether the words of Jesus then have an absolute value? Abascal replied, over the last century in the church, there has been a great blossoming of studies that seek to understand exactly what Jesus meant to say. That is not relativism, but attests that the word is relative. The gospel is written by human beings. It is accepted by the church, which is made up of human persons. So it is true that no one can change the word of Jesus, but one must know what it was. Asked whether he was questioning Jesus' words, Abascal said he agrees with Pope Francis, also a Jesuit. One does not bring into doubt, one brings into discernment. Rusconi replied that with discernment, the final decision is based on a judgment relative to different hypotheses and thus brings the word of Jesus into doubt. Abascal responded that he did not mean the word of Jesus, but the word of Jesus as we have interpreted it. Discernment leads to a decision. One must not only evaluate, but decide. The Jesuit superior continued that the church has always made 
personal conscience a priority. Another one of those key words, personal conscience. Doctrine is a word that I don't like very much. It brings with it the image of the hardness of stone. Abascal said, instead, the human reality is much more nuanced. It is never black or white. It is in continual development. Now, these are just, these are just microcosms of all the kind of crud that's taking place in our culture these days. Lots of different things coming from everywhere else. And the church, the church, not, the, not us as a church, the, you'll see. The church, um, and everyone includes themselves in that, um, is also fracturing and, and, you know, and parting ways and doing their things. And, and it's become a natural thing now. We have a doctrine, we believe it. Some other people have a doctrine and they believe it and they don't agree on the same things, so they split and start another denomination. Or they split and start, it's just a, it's a thing that happens. Hey, let's just split and start our own little church and do our own little thing. Happens all the time. That's what we're living in. But John is kind of living in kind of that too right now in, in Ephesus and some of the things that are going on around where he is. You have docetism. It talks about uh, being seen but not real. There's no physical body. Jesus didn't have a real physical body. It was just kind of one of those things. You saw him there, bam. Gnosticism, it's, it's, it's clay feet are just kind of starting to get moving now. It hasn't really taken off exactly yet. By after 100 or something like that, it'll start taking off and really get heavy and strong. It's just starting out in the infant stages. But that kind of thing is uh, superiority of knowledge. That's one of those things. Uh, uh, I can't read my notes here. Uh, the, uh, the, oh, though, the um, impurity of matter, the body can be impure, but as long as your spirit is intact, and so basically you can sin if you want to, and no big deal. John has to address that. Corinthians, uh, uh, denial of Jesus as the Christ. There was a Jesus. Christ came down after um, after the inception, so Jesus was Jesus was born in sin. Christ came into him afterwards, and before the resurrection, uh, before the crucifixion, he pulled out. And so there was a Jesus. There is a Christ. Just Jesus was not the Christ. So they, and then they had all the pagan worship and all that kind of thing that went on. Um, you know, all the little different doohads and do doohickeys of all the different little things that are all over. You know, they had these different temples all over, and people worshipped and lived around the temples and. And I just saw a picture recently where they had that, an old picture, a rendering of it, which is now all in ruins. But they had a, the temples, a couple of temples there. And then the, the city, it's parts of the city were kind of built around the temples where people lived and worked and did their thing like that. So John has done this. But what happens? You have these secessionists, the people inside the church. You have these false teachers. Now, the gospel of John has already been out. It's been out for a while. And so some, I guess some people are thinking they know better than John or know a little more. And they're starting to kind of get a handle on it. And they're hey, I think I've got a handle on this sucker. I'm going to take it where I go. And then they're going to start infusing. I guess they've started to infuse a couple of other things that kind of pick and cherry picking from here and there. And they're kind of starting to make their own theology and things are happening. And secessionists are those that are getting inside the church and they have this nasty teaching that's not great and it's not solid and it's not good and start making up their own things. And, you know, because, because, because doctrine is a word they don't like very much, and it brings with it the image of the hardness of stone. So they start taking some people with them. Some people go, yeah, I like that teacher. He's pretty good. He has some good things to say. I think I'll take him with me. And so it's starting to split the church. So they're saying, well, we'll go and start our own church. 
Now, if you look at some of these things, because if you go to the Revelation where John writes to all of these churches, you'll see a whole bunch of them had. There's only two of them that really he commends for doing a good thing. But now Ephesus, he talks about, you know, y'all are good at figuring out this and doing this and, and testing the spirits and doing this king. But what is this thing? You, what was the big thing with the Ephesian church? But you have left your first love. You've left your first love. And so all of these others. So so John is this apostle. He's about the only one. He's the only one left, and he's uh, he's kind of holding this area around here, this Asia Minor area around here, and he's sending these letters out and shooting them out and doing what he can. And uh, and I, so he's he's um, putting all of this together. He's sending it out because of all of these problems, like like a lot of these. We're, we're in kind of a I, I don't want to say the same thing, but. It's, it's kind of a lot of the same environs. There's lots of things hitting from back and forth. And the church is not immune to it. Because there's lots of things happening in the, in, the, in the church. And so John writes about a lot of things here. And uh, so I want to look at uh, chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> because he talks about, he talks about the uh, uh, God is light. Remember he talks about a moral and pure uh, pure way he said we need to be morally straight remember we walk in the light as he is in the light we don't walk in darkness don't do that christ is superior christ is ahead of things he's our advocate he takes care of us uh, he is the christ and and he'll uh, address these things as he goes along but he says in uh, and he says don't love the world things of the world but he says in 225 he starts talking about the promise he says this is the promise which he himself made to us eternal life and then he talks about 27, the anointing, you're abiding in him, 28, confidence. He talks about 29, you're practicing in righteousness. We're going to be in chapter 3. He talks about these kind of things because he says in verse 3, chap, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. You see, we have eternal life, this anointing, abiding, confiding, practicing in righteousness. Talks about some of these things, not loving the world. All these first two chapters. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And when I begin to look at this, he begins to compare these people who are in this habit, uh, habit of sin. Okay. He talks about this, um, this knowing, um, uh, this habit of doing sin, this present active idea of they are continually in sin, and, and we'll, we'll break some of that down later. Um, and it's not the same as what he talks about in 1, or, or excuse me, yes, in 1, um, 8 and 9, if we say, which John includes himself in on, if we say we have, um, we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, he's talking about a difference there between sin that we commit uh, and then feel sorry for and repent for it because the Spirit does a work in us. Uh, that's different from what he's talking about here uh, where he talks about, uh, for this reason the world did not know it because it did not know him and what he'll begin to talk about here. And he sets up this, uh, I, I want to compare this, the, the righteous and those that are in sin, in this habitual habit of sin. And he'll, he'll start comparing some of those things. And he does that in verse 1. He says, one, we're children of God, and we are not known by the world. Okay? 
and for them they are of the world, and he, God, does not know them. Okay? In verse 2 he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. So even there, he says, uh, he sets up the righteous. Not only are children of God not known by the world, we will be like him. We will see him as he is. As he is. Um, and I remember I was talking to a friend of mine um, about uh, lawn mowing. And uh, he says, uh, how, do you, how do you get your... He doesn't mow his lawn. He has somebody do it for him, which a lot of people in Frisco do. But I like mowing my lawn. And one and a two, I can't afford to have somebody else mow my lawn. But I, I get my dad did it. He's 88, and he still mows his own lawn. He loves it. And uh, I like doing it. But he asked me. He said, um, and I learned it from my dad. He said, how do you get those straight lines? He said, man, they, all those guys that do those lawns, he had no He has no clue. How do you get those straight lines? And I said, well, one thing I do is when I go down and I start mowing, I will, I will mow down. And then when I get to the end, I'll use that, that wheel where I'm going, you know, everybody knows it, and you pivot, and you pivot on that one and put the front wheel back on the other line, and then you go down the line. He said, yeah, but what does that do? I said, well, the key is, is not to look right in front of you, because if you look right in front of you, you'll kind of boom, boom, boom like that. I said, the, the key is to look down at the end of the aisle, and then you can follow the line a lot easier that way, and you can go straight. I'd never had to explain that before. <laughs> I know, I know, like, you know, well, I, th- I thought to myself, I thought, man, that's pretty good. I never, <laughs> no one's ever asked me, how do you keep a straight line on line? I thought, wow, that's wow. But I thought, Kylie, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of an idea of what he's saying here. Now, it, it may not be as deep as you're looking for, but that's the best I got <laughs> when it comes to this because that's, that's the way I look at it. Because he says here, he says, um, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. It's not that we have attained it yet, but if we just keep looking, we want to stay because he said, here's why I asked that. Because he says in three, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. He is set apart for holy use. That's what we're doing. How do we keep the straight and narrow? Because we will see him as he is. We look down and we see into the future what he is and what he does. And that's, so that's how we proverbially keep the straight line. That's how we stay pure and we fix our hope on him and forward is because we see what is to come. We'll see him as he is. And it, even in there, he says, we will be. We will be. It's, kind of, it's a future passive. It's entirely the work of God. It's not anything we do. We're passive in it. It's out in the future. What we are to become is completely his work, none of ours. Do you get that? I mean, that's pretty good resting right there if you're asking me. And we can hope in that. And we live pure lives based on what God is going to do for us in the future. And he's saying that's, that's what we have as children of God. Turn the page. Verse 4. Everyone who... So see, now, he's, now he's, he's done righteous here. We're children of God. We're not known by the world. We'll be like him. We'll see him as he is. We have this hope, fixed hope, which is pure. 
righteous side. Other side, he, they are of the world. He does not know them. And in verse 4, he adds more to it. Everyone who practices sin, the idea of the habit of doing sin, that's, that's this habit of doing sin. Everyone who has this habit of doing sin also practices lawlessness. So it's kind of interchangeable here. And sin is lawlessness. So one more thing in those who habitually practice sin. They're lawless. They'll habitually practice sin. They're just, they're different. They're different than we are. Do we still sin? Yes, of course, of course we do. First John tells us that, 1, 8, 9. Because if we say we have no sin, we're lying. It's not right. Of course we have sin. We just have a different kind of sin. Well, well, oh, sorry. <laughs> you don't understand what I'm saying. It's coming from a different context. Really. Verse 5, uh, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. <clears throat> The idea of take away sins there, and you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. He picks up the sin and actually carries it away. Carries it away. He picks up the sin and he carries it away. In him there is no sin. In Hebrews chapter 10, oh, I got arthritis that runs right down this finger right here. Boy, it's been a booger this last weekend. It's like, ah, I never thought I'd get to the point, you know, where you're like, I had to carry my Bible in like, like this today and all this stuff because I couldn't. Gee whiz, it, it's a killer. It, and the first time, you remember the first time when you, you were just holding something and then pain hit and you just dropped it? You remember that? And you went, ow. You know, it's like, oh. so So that, that's a little difficult to turn there. You know, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a killer, isn't it? I'm so, so, so glad to be a part of that club. I'm just, I've been looking for entrance for so many years. Gee. So he says in, <clears throat> he says in Hebrews 10, verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And he goes through this thing here. Christ is the sacrifice. Verse 10, by this we Will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all? In 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. And then you can go on, go on by offering his perfected all time those who are sanctified in the Holy Spirit and you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. To lift up and carry those sins away. There's nothing that can cover him. He's the only one that can do that. And um, I got to look over here to be sure. Um, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on behalf that we may be made the righteousness of God. Second Corinthians uh, 5.21 uh, and then he throws this little thing in here. Uh, he says, you know, he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Um, so we were at the ordination council this past time. And we were in, in Chuck's office getting ready. And Steve, like, they only had one guy this time. So they did it kind of in his office and did that. But beforehand, we were on there. And I don't know if 
any of you have the New Living Translation. It's the one that Chuck uses now. And I don't think he had seen this before because uh, Les pointed, Les Fleetwood, you know, Les, he point, you know, he's the one that has the evangelist hair, you know, the really nice looking set of hair. Uh, it's, man, it's just gorgeous, yeah. I, I wouldn't know. In fact, I got me a little ding up there this week. I was working on something and yeah, got me up there. I thought, I told my wife, I get one more, I'll look like a piece of modern art. I'm <laughs> there, just be swirls and anyway. See, that's ADD. I'm so sorry. So Les was talking in this thing, and he says, um, he says, yeah, you know, Chuck, in Hebrews 4:10, uh, it has a different, uh, it has a different, um, different thing there. It says. Um, for one who has entered his rest has himself also... Oh, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's uh, 4.15. 4.15, I'm sorry. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Okay? New Living Translation says, yet did not sin. And Les said, you know, that makes it sound like the... Um, and we started talking about the peccability and impeccability of Christ. Peccability is he could, he could sin if he wanted to. He just chose not to, basically. Impeccability is he could not sin. It was not in him, which is what we believe. He could not sin. So we're all going around the room, and you know how Chuck says, Wow, that's a great, you know how he, <laughs> except he can do it without the, the hey, uh, I never saw that. I hope he doesn't hear me, and hope he doesn't have ADD. You know, and he's like going, <clears throat> thought of that that's just great and we were trying to stay around and think of that and Rome Dyke brought up this beautiful he said you know I had a professor in seminary and I've, I've got the guy's name he said I had this professor in seminary and he explained it like this he said um, uh, it's as though Jesus has um, there's barbells there big weights and everybody is picking up the weights and he said we as man we pick up the weights we get them up to here and we go oh, yeah, yeah, and we falter because the question is, if Jesus could not sin, what is the power of temptation? Could he be tempted if he couldn't sin? So that was the question. So this, answer, this is what the answer was. So Rome says, you know, it's like we're picking this up, and we're getting up there going, and we can't make it. Jesus is the only one who experienced the full weight of temptation because he picked it up, he wrestled with the weight of sin, and he conquered it. He's the, only one that, he's the only one that has 100% experienced the full weight of temptation and conquered it. Whereas every time we get close, we fall. And so he says here, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Go on to verse 6. Now one who abides in him, I'm sorry, no one who that's all different no one who abides in him sins no one who sins has seen him or knows him um, and there we talk about that thing again because uh, you can you can kind of get mixed up there no one who abides in him sins like oh no well I've sinned so gosh I guess I don't abide don't let that trip you up. He's talking about, again, that habitual sin because he says back in there in 1 John, if, any, if we say that we have no sin, we're, be, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. And there he goes. He, he, he does that here. Uh, so he's, he's talking about no one who abides in him 
goes on sinning perpetually. No, no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Okay, no one who goes on sinning has seen him or knows him. So here again, he's popping the mirror. Okay, here's this. Those who keep on abiding, we're, we're, not, we're, we're not keeping on sinning, although we sin. Get it? Those that keep on sinning are, have not seen him, and they do not know him. Hold on. He's, here we go. Verse 7, little children make, what time we get out here? Two? <laughs> Two? Okay. All right, we're good. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Okay, now he's, remember, secessionists are coming in and out. He's writing this letter because there, there are teachers that are, you know the old thing about the angle where, you know, you, you're going this way, but boy, if you get off a one degree, it doesn't seem like much to begin with. But you get on down the road and you're this way. You, you do that with some highways around here. You think, oh, I'm parallel in 75, and before you know it, man, how would I end up in Garland? And then you have to come back to get it's, – it's like that. And so he's addressing some of these things here because deceitful teaching is that way. It never hits you in the face. It hits you in the face, and you go, good Lord, that's, that's not right. Forget that. But if it's good and it kind of – you know, he's pretty good. That's pretty good. He, you know, hey, I like that. And then they start contributing a few more things before you know it. You're opposite. You're all over the place. So that's kind of what he's addressing here. Little children, make, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness, keeps on doing righteousness, is righteous. Just as he is righteous. So it's the habit of doing righteousness. If you have the habit of doing righteousness and you're practicing righteousness as he's talking, uh, you're doing just as he is, as he is righteous here. You're little children, don't make anyone deceive you. Uh, verse 8 here, uh, the one who practices sin, here's another, he's separating. The one who practices sin, this keeping on, this habit of doing sin, is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. It's, this, it's a progressive, present, active, indicative thing here. It's progressive active it's going to happen it's that's the way it is he has done it from the beginning he is the father of it he will keep chewing off as much as he can anytime he can in any new way that he can think of he will keep doing it because he has the devil has been doing it from the very beginning so as long as he's been doing it he will keep doing it and uh the one who keeps on practicing sin is one of his children. He is one of those type, for the devil has sinned from the very beginning. And that's kind of the ideal here. Uh, it's uh, kind of the family business. And those that are of his keep doing the same things he did. And he says, by the way, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's, that's what he came to do. He came to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Uh, keeps on practicing sin. The habit of doing sin. 
because his seed abides in him. <clears throat> and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Uh, I'm going to go back to 1 Peter one twenty three. <clears throat> For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. We are, we are God's seed, and we are in the family business too. And what we do is reflect the glory of our Father. What we do is do the works of our Father. We take on the, 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 the nature and the character of God because we're made in His image. We all are. But we are the righteous. And we no longer sin the way we did before. And um, <clears throat> um, let me find it here. Because our seed abides in him, and he cannot go on sinning because he is, he is born of God. Um, and it's, um, let me see if I can get this right here. Well, thank you. Um, let me see if this is, hang on a second uh, I, see I got to be sure I got everything in order here be sure I've got uh, I'm so sorry hang on it's all above not good oh oh yeah next one sorry here we go um no one who is born of God practices sin because, seed, because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin, go on sinning because he is born of God. By this, all of the above, by this, what the righteous are, children of God, not known by the world, we will be like him, see him as he is, fixed on the hope, we keep abiding, we practice righteousness. Uh, all of these things, uh, what Jesus did, he destroyed the eternal conflict and the final victory of what Jesus did for sin and d d conquering sin. All of this, by this, by all of this stuff, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Okay, so he's taken, so this time he's compared these two. So he says the, the children of God who are this and this and this and this, we'll just, we'll just gather all this. These are, these are things that, are, that, that help us to understand who the righteous are, the children of God. And all of these things here, these are some of the things, these are the things that help tell us about children of the devil, children that are not of God. Children that he doesn't know or don't know him of the world, of their father. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. They're in the family business with what Satan has done from the very beginning. He says it's obvious uh, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness, all of these, is not of God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Those who practice righteousness, you're children of God. Those who are children of the devil and do not practice righteousness, but habitually keep on sinning and doing the things that they do, they are not of God. And he says, obviously. Nor 
the one who does not love his brother. The one who does not love his brother. Gary Burge says this. He said, is the exhortation about insiders or outsiders? Because remember, John's writing to the people at the church. um, And the secessionists and the people inside, outside, he says... um, Is this exhortation about insiders or outsiders? John fails to clarify one thing. When he says that we must love our brothers, is he still referring to the secessionists? Those brothers we had that were in the church that taught things and split and left? Or is he referring to his faithful congregants? In other words, is he speaking about the cohesion in the church or about how the church should love its enemies? Well, he goes on to the conclusion to say it could be a little bit of both. It's talking about secessionists and things like that. Um, but it, it, it could be a little bit of both. <clears throat> because we're, we've been given that too, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on to uh, explain a little bit of that. Uh, He said, for this message, which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And you'll just go over to go over to John, uh, uh, not John, first John, just go to the fourth chapter. We're in the third. Go to four, verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. And he says earlier. Uh, no one who is born of God practices him because his seed abides in him. When we, when we trust Christ, when he makes us righteous, when we are his, his seed abides in us, the spirit indwells us. We love because he loves. We take on that character and we, 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 we give no more, no, I don't say that. We glorify God and people see the glory of God, I think most, when we are demonstrating the character that separates God from most others, and that's love. Most others. Think about that one. But one of the great attributes of God is love. Remember, they ask him, what, what is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind straight, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it could be either one. Love the people inside. There's this thing that uh, Burge calls um, high fashion hatred. He says we get that in the church a lot <clears throat> when we get high fashion hatred. And he said a lot of it's, it's kind of the. Um, it's kind of the, I think what the word in Corinthians, grousing, griping and grousing that the children, the children of Egypt did when they were coming over. Uh, <clears throat> it's a lot of times some of the things that we can do in the church, too. This high-fashioned, you know, you know what I mean, a high-fashioned, you know, dressed up really nice, looking really good, but it's griping. It's complaining. And you know what happens? You ever seen, uh, I forgot who the artist is, uh, Surratt, that does it with the dots? He does the paintings with the dots. And if you see that, it's even on dollar bills, too. If you'll notice on dollar bills, they're all just dots and dashes. You've ever noticed Washington and all those? And how do they make it? They say, well, how do you make, how do you make gray hair, Washington's hair gray with dots? 
you get a whole bunch of them concentrated in one area and all of a sudden it looks like a splotch and then it becomes a color and what you have with this high fashion hatred is you have people who get into the church and in and of themselves the little dot is not a big deal you know coffee's not hot someone got in my seat sorry air is way too cold in here bang 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 and all of a sudden you've got a high-fashioned hater someone who's just aura is always not love a complainer it kills the spirit of a person and everybody around it and the glory of God cannot shine through when someone is dotting up their life with complaining and hating and this and that and this and that and this and that and finally you just go oh my gosh give it a rest please seriously in and of themselves those are little things they're not big things but when you start adding them up over and 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 over again and again and again and again do you know what i mean it becomes an attitude it becomes a a a way of life and you've got to break that Um, let me be sure here. So he, he goes on here in verse 12 and he says, he gives a little illustration here. For this is the message which you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Talks about that. Uh, and he says, um, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Could have been a religious argument. And he says, actually there he says, uh, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous, uh, Cain uh, did not possess the love of God. Um, here's a, uh, Dr. Hannah just put out a new commentary on 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, just beginning last year. He, he wrote this here. Read this to you real quickly. Are we? Oh, we're good. Okay. He said, the sin of a Christian cannot commit Uh, The sin a Christian cannot commit is the failure to love. Loving being the manifestation of the life of God, the character of God, implanted in our very beings by the possession of the Spirit of God who is divine love possessed. A Christ follower by definition is one who has come into possession of the life of God. Since God is love and they have come to participate in the life of God, the manifestation of love is an is as an intrinsic and natural act as it is in God himself. They cannot not love. <clears throat> it's, an, it's an attitude. It's not just an attitude. It's partly an attitude. Here's a comic right here. Shows the two... <laughs> shows the two people up here. Attitude. He says... 
Every time I've saved a little money, God sends an emergency to take it away. <clears throat> Here's her thought. Every time there's an emergency, God makes sure I've saved enough money to cover it. You see the difference? It's not that high fashion hatred. It's not God is trying to get me for everything, but rather God has blessed me with this, allowed me to go through this. You see the difference? A uh, lady texted me just this morning. She gave me a quote from uh, Elliot. I, I, I got it up here, so all I have to do is open it. Uh, she says, uh, I think this is gold. Elizabeth Elliot. A Christian who is saturated with the word, my father wrote, is likely to have a calm, wholesome outlook on life, to be kept steady in the path of God's will in either joy or sorrow, wealth or poverty. He is likely to be a pleasant companion, not voluble and aimless talk, and he will not be overly disturbed by world conditions. Is that not magnificent? Is that not what we all strive for, to have the kind of life? When we are in a culture like is in John's day, like I think is what is in our day with this kind of stuff, we need to hold steady. We do. I, I remember in Isaiah uh, chapter 3, I go there, um, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah 24, 20. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 10. In Isaiah chapter 3, uh, Isaiah is conveying to them <clears throat> how God is going to destroy him. He's going to take away their leaders. Uh, he's, he's talking about uh, God's universal reign and what all is going to happen. The day of reckoning is coming for you people. It's going to happen. God's going to remove the leader. He's going to do all of this stuff. And he, he gives all of this stuff. Here's what he says in 8 and 9. For Jerusalem, it, it doesn't matter about context. You, you'll understand the gist. It's the gist of it. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord to rebel against his glorious presence. The expression of their faces bears witness against them and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them for they have brought evil on themselves. And then in 11, I'm going to read you verse 10, but here's he says 11. Woe to the wicked. It will go badly with them for what he deserves will be done. Oh, my people, their oppressors are children and women rule over them. Oh, my people, those who guide you, lead you astray and confuse the direction of your paths. All, the, all that chapter is like that. Woe to this. Woe to this. I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this away from you, this away from you. This is going to happen. This is a struggle you're going to have. Bing, bang, boom, bing, bang, boom. And right in the middle, one little verse. Say to the righteous that it will go well with them, for they will eat the fruit of their actions. Oh, what great promise. Whoa, 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 woe to you, woe to you. Oh, by the way, say to the righteous, it will go well for them, for they will eat of the fruit of their actions. Whoa, woe to you, and woe to you. And you see what I'm saying? He takes care of his own. He takes care of his people here. He watches over his own. It doesn't matter what's going on in society. It doesn't matter if the Muslims take over the world. It doesn't matter if this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. Satan has been doing that from the very beginning. What's the difference? I would say if, even, if anything is happening now, we're getting more like New Testament times than we've ever had before. Now, I guess every generation could say that. But more and more is happening all the time. And instead of looking at our circumstance as though this is the first time this has ever happened, 
is naive. And if we think that the power of the church is in its current circumstance, no, the power of the church is in the Holy Spirit. He's always been involved with this church. He's always been a part of what's going on. There's nothing that takes him by surprise. There's nothing that he's not doing. But what if, like Billy Graham said and others, God is moving in a new way. God is blowing a fresh wind. And what do we do a lot of times? We start building the walls to surround ourselves. Well, we don't need to be doing that. Well, you know how they are. You know, and I'm not talking about just in the church. How do we look at neighbors who are Muslim? How do we look at neighbors who are gay? How do we respond? You remember when I told you earlier, I said, now I'm going to read this to you. And don't just absorb the content. What are your emotions? Because my emotions have been the same before. When I look at that, I go, I can't believe that's that. Well, we, I just can't believe. And there's been many times I've had to check my emotions and go, you know what? That's not love. It doesn't mean be accepting. It doesn't mean be like this guy that says, well, we don't know what Jesus meant. We need to contextual. That's not love. That's wrong. That's heresy. That's a, that's a capitulation. That's giving up. That's retreating. That's not love. Love, you can hold the ground. Love, you can state what needs to be stated. But love is a way of glorifying God by revealing His character in circumstances. How many times have you been in a situation where you can kind of go, uh, and we've done it too, where you can kind of go, uh, this has happened, one, this has happened, two, this has happened, three, bam, the reaction is four. Now, here's what I mean by that. He did this and this and this. And by God, if he did those things, then I'm going to do this. You know what I mean? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This happened, this happened, this happened. By golly, this is going to be number four, and I'm going to bring down the boom. Now, I don't mean necessarily physically, but sometimes mentally or cut them off or be ignore them or walk around them or do. You know what I'm saying? We all have those one, two, three, four. That's what I'm going to do. And what he's saying here, you know how do you reveal the glory of God? One happens, two happens, three happens. I'm going to react totally opposite of what they think. And I'm going to show the love of God. And the people go, wow, I, did, I didn't expect that. Remember, it's like when Kathy, uh, Truett Kathy, remember he made his, he was the owner of a Chick-fil-A before he passed away. And remember he made the statement, we believe in marriage between a man and a woman. And you remember how they just attacked him, went after him. We're not going to go to Chick-fil-A anymore. We're not going to do any of that stuff. And all this stuff happened. Of course, all the Christians, we're going to support him. We're going to get out there and we're going to show him. And, you know, just they made billions of dollars. They made more in a month than they made in a year. I mean, just tons of money, things like that. What people don't tell you about is what Truett Cathy did later. He, met, he went and met with the head of that LGBT people. And before he died, they ended up being good friends. And the guy came to his funeral. He said, boy, I mistook this guy. He was a great guy. They ended up being great friends. Why? Because Truett Cathy did something. He didn't do one, two, three. Stick it to him with number four. One, two, three. And he showed him love. Well, what happens? Then we reflect the glory of God. Then people see the light. Then they go, so here's the God we serve. Here's the God they serve. I kind of like that. Can you tell me more?
And I'll finish with this. You remember the old hymn written by Robert Coleman about um, he was an associate, he was a volunteer associate of uh, George Truitt's. Remember this one? Of the themes that men have known, one supremely stands alone. Through the ages it has shown, tis his wonderful, wonderful love. Love is the theme, love is supreme, sweeter it grows, glory bestows, bright as the sun, ever it glows. Love is the theme, eternal theme. We're never more like God than when we can reflect the glory of God through love. That's what we need to do. That's what he's telling them here. You want answers for how we're going to respond to the culture of today? Love in a real way. Inside the church to your brethren, outside the church to your neighbors. I'll give you one starting point, and we're done. When you get home, try this challenge. <clears throat> get you a blank piece of paper. Draw a tic-tac-toe board on there. In the middle of the tic-tac-toe board, write your name. That's your house. And then the rest of them just correspond to where you live. Who's your neighbor across the street right there up there at the top? Who's your neighbor behind you in the alley or, or shares a yard with you right there name at the bottom? Who's to the left of you? Who's to the right of you? Who's catty corner in each one? Just fill out the tic-tac-toe and say, do I know all of those people? If I don't, get to know them. If I do, get to know them deeper and start making a difference. It doesn't mean go next door to someone you never met and start sharing the gospel with them and ram the gospel down their throat. They may not be ready for that yet. Just be a neighbor. Reflect the glory of God in love. And just start from there. And when you're prompted to share, then you can share. But that may be a year down the road. That may be two years down. It may be ten years down the road before you share the gospel with them in a way that they will receive it. But just be sensitive to the Spirit. That's the first way. Okay? Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love for us. Oh, wonderful love. And sometimes, Lord, we, we look at love as some kind of uh, effeminate uh, hearts and flowers, Valentine's Day thing. That means nothing. Lord, I know in, in relationships with our wife, and our children, love is not the feeling. It's the, it's the day in and the day out, sticking with them, staying with them, trying to communicate with them, serving them, sacrificing for them, keeping them straight, them keeping us straight. Lord, there's so much more to love than, than hearts and valentines and, and what the world has done to it. Father, help us to love with a love that reflects your glory and your honor in your very nature and character because you're not you you don't do love you are love it's not something you do it's something you are and help us to do that since we're made in your image help us to reflect that thank you father for a day of worship be with us and guide us help us to know our neighbors help us to know you more and help us to love in jesus name amen